So this morning, um, we're going to return to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You can start turning there if you like. Um, And together, we're going to look at the fourth of six instances where Jesus counters the teachings of the scribe and the Pharisees. And so far, we've studied Jesus' authoritative words on murder, adultery, and divorce. And in each instance, the Pharisees proclaimed something that resembled the truth, at least in appearance, yet their focus was on the letter of the law rather than the heart of it. They could check the box that said, you shall not murder, all the while holding anger in their heart towards a brother. They could affirm the law, you shall not commit adultery, while looking at a woman with lustful intent and committing adultery with her in their hearts. They could ignore God's original design for marriage and, div- and they could divorce their wives for whatever reason as long as they did the proper paperwork and gave her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus' exposition of the law goes far beyond its letter, as we've, as we've discussed. He looks under the surface to the intentions of the heart. Jesus, as we've, as we've emphasized each time, and we'll continue for all six, Jesus is not giving new meaning to the text. He's not giving new meaning to the text. He's not adding to the Word of God. Rather than every instance, he's explaining the law according to its full and original meaning. He's explaining to his hearers and to us what it means to be obedient from the heart. And he does the same thing today as we talk about the taking and the keeping of oaths. So this morning we're going to turn our attention to our words, what we say, the promises that we make, the promises we keep. Words or speech are, are very important. The Bible, both Old and New Testament, are filled with references to taming the tongue, James 3.8, speaking truth to one another, keeping from lies. We know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. Matthew 15, 8 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, Matthew 5, 8, 15, 18. And the words that come out of our mouth reveal the truth or the condition of our heart, kind of like a thermometer, right? It reveals the reality of where we are. So turn with me, as I said, to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that, anything more than this, comes from evil. So on the surface, that statement of verse 33 looks good, right? Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
And surely if we're going to make an oath before God, we should follow through on what we've promised, right? An oath is a solemn statement, affirmed to be true before God, which calls him to witness to the truth of that statement and to invoke a curse if the statement is not true. Words of verse 33, those cannot be found in the Old Testament. It's not a direct quotation, but the gist of it. The gist of that can be summarized by looking at several different texts. For example, from the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. Or Leviticus 19.12, which says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And again, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Numbers 30, verse 2. Or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Deuteronomy 5.11. And then finally, if you make a vow to the Lord your God... You shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. So to invoke God's name, to invoke God's name in any context is a very, very serious matter. And it's liable to his judgment. Once God's name is, is invoked, the vow to which it's attached becomes a debt that has to be paid to the Lord. And of course, the world today, even in the church, doesn't see it that way. We don't see it that way. We use God's name casually as a curse without even thinking about it. We swear by His name, so help me God, with little to no thought as to what the consequences might be. We put, God's, we put words into God's mouth that He never said, thereby taking His name in vain. You know, it's, um, we don't see them around anymore, but uh, the, the old billboards... Um, that put words into God's mouth that God never said. They were black billboards with white lettering, and it said stuff like, I'll see you in church before the game on Sunday. God, you know? Now, (laughs) that was one of them. You know, I mean, those always drove me nuts because, and some of them, you know, were much better than that and actually had some basis in Scripture, but when we put God's words into God's mouth that God didn't say, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And we see that problem. Um, there was certainly a problem with the Pharisees' legalism and traditions. We see that as, as, as they would do that. And it's a problem for us today, the way that we use God's name so, so carelessly. The Pharisees were right to say, 
that one should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what was sworn. Those Old Testament references that I gave you support that summary statement. But Jesus says in verse 34, but I say to you, again, authoritatively as the incarnate word of God, he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. What Jesus is condemning is the flippant or careless use of oaths in everyday speech. Okay, we do that. He's condemning those who invoke God's name in order to to deceive. In the tradition of the scribes and the Pharisees, um, oaths were sworn frequently and were in many cases not considered binding at all. If you swore in the name of God, then you were certainly liable. Their statement emphasizes that. But if you swore by anything else, by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or even your own head, then you had an out. You had an out. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you made a promise, but no one really knew that you had your fingers crossed behind your back, right? It's that kind of mentality, which is bizarre. Jesus is not making a universal decree to to never take an oath in any circumstance. Okay, let's make that clear. He's not saying that. There's a time and a place for reverent oaths before God. The Old Testament and the New are full of examples. We could go the entire hour just on that. In fact, God himself swore an oath to Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, on an, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, hear this, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who have fled we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hebrews 6, 13 to 18. And in this instance, God swore by himself, for there is nothing greater. God swore by himself. Because of his unchanging nature, he cannot lie. His word is sure. His promises will surely come to pass in every case. Then Jesus himself Jesus himself spoke under oath to the high priest on the night that he was betrayed. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you, that that basically means call to an oath, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. This broke his silence. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's Matthew 26, 63 to 64. And that word adjure means to charge under oath. To charge under oath. The Apostle Paul, okay, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
James, the brother of Jesus, echoed his words. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James 5.12 See, oaths normally invoke God as the guarantor of a person's word. And that's why it was so damning to break an oath. That's why it was so damning to, to break an oath. It was a misuse of God's name. What Exodus 20 verse 7 calls taking God's name in vain. Leviticus 19.12 calls profaning the name of your God. And since swearing by the name of God or Yahweh was such a very serious thing, the scribes and the Pharisees were in the habit of swearing by something lesser, substituting the name of God. Um, That's actually the foundation for much of our swearing slash cursing today. We just substitute words. We sanctify it with words that don't mean anything, but we know what we're saying. By doing so, their goal was to avoid the consequences that are associated with the sin of swearing falsely before the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees taught that unless the name of God, okay, unless the name of God was specifically mentioned, the oath was not binding. People would sometimes swear by heaven or earth or a similar oath and then later claim that they were not bound by, what, by that oath because God's name was not mentioned. That ought not be. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists oaths made by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem in one's head. Matthew 23, Jesus chastises the scribes and the Pharisees for this very thing. And there he adds oaths made by the temple the gold of the temple, the altar, the gift on the altar. He says, and, and, and this, these are harsh words from Jesus, and they're directed to the scribes and the Pharisees specifically. He says, woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Matthew 23, 16 to 22. So in other words, in these words, you can, you can hear the underlying problem, right? You can hear the underlying problem. Again, the problem of the Pharisees was one of legalism. It was one of legalism. If you swear by the temple, it isn't binding. If you swear by the gold of the temple, then it is. If you swear by the altar, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, then you're bound by your word. That's crazy and exhausting. Exhausting. It's not necessary. Simply speak the truth in all situations. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. That's Matthew 5.37, but it's in the New King James. That double um, emphasis there. To swear by anything, 
be it God himself or the hairs on our own head, assumes that we have control over that person or thing. Okay? You hear that? That's important. To swear by anything, be it God himself or the hairs on our own head, assumes that we have control over that person or thing. Fact is, we don't. We don't. All things belong to God and are under his sovereign rule. Jesus says, do not take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, because it's his footstool. The Lord in Isaiah 66.1 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Whether it's the heavens above, or the earth under our feet, or anything contained in them, anything in between, they are all under divine submission to Him. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16-17 Nothing's outside of that. That includes the city of Jerusalem, verse 35, which is the city of the great king. And it even includes your own head. For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And Jesus speaks to the futility of swearing by one's own head when he says, you can't make a single hair white or black. How naive are we? How naive are we to think that we have control? God rules heaven, the earth, the city of Jerusalem, and even your own head. How can we possibly think that we can guarantee the truthfulness of our statements by swearing upon something that we do not and cannot control? As the creator and the sustainer, God determines even the color of a single hair on our head. I haven't had to worry about that in a while, but I do have different colors in the beard. So, okay. Oaths call for the destruction of an object or a person if the oath is broken. Thus, swearing by heaven, by earth, Jerusalem, or even one's head is inappropriate because it implies that we have the authority to destroy things over which God alone has authority. And when we do that, when we do that, we align ourselves with the evil one, verse 37, who attempts to usurp God's authority in this world. If Jesus says not to take an oath at all, and he does, then what is our alternative? He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil, Matthew 5, 37. Speak truth. Speak truth in every situation. The character of one who follows Christ should be such that our words can be believed without an oath. Without an oath. There's no need to take an oath at all. A simple yes or no should suffice. 
You know, one of the things that I've been experienced in conversations where the truth is in question is what I've called a layering on of words, okay? A layering on of words. And sometimes, though not always, it's easy to discern when someone is either lying to you or perhaps hiding a bit of the truth. The tendency is to pile on one thing after another, as if the word, word count somehow adds to the veracity of the claim. I remember a call, phone call a couple years ago from an industry leader um, that I was dealing with, and uh, he, and he has a tendency to talk a lot anyway, but he layered on one excuse after another for a question that we were discussing. He said a lot of words, and all of them maybe touched the truth, but none of them were the truth. None of them, okay? Um, it's that kind of thing. Um, there's a famous line from the William Shakespeare play Hamlet, where Queen Gertrude says, the lady doth protest too much, methinks, okay? So in today's usage, that phrase is used to indicate doubt of someone's sincerity, especially regarding the truth of a strong denial. She protests too much. Simply let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't pile on words to make your case. The scribes and the Pharisees went out of their way to create elaborate oaths. Some were binding, some were not. Jesus' response to that is don't take an oath at all. As a man or a woman of God, your word should be enough. Your word should be enough. That should be sufficient. No oath is necessary for the truthful person. It's not necessary at all. But the natural man, apart from Christ, has a propensity to lie. Okay? In my study, I stumbled across this simple illustration. It's not what I usually will use in a sermon, but it, it works in this situation. Um, pastor, a pastor noticed a group of boys standing around a small stray dog. What are you doing, boys? Telling lies, said one of the boys. The one who tells the biggest lie gets the dog. All right? Pastor was shocked. Why, when I was your age, he said, I never thought of telling a lie. The boys looked at one another, a little crestfallen. Finally, one of them shrugged and said, I guess he wins the dog. <laughs> so that came off better than I thought. Okay, good, good. So the, the, the point of that is, and again, it's not my normal material, but the point of that is, no one is immune. No one is immune. Sometimes we lie by what we say. Sometimes we lie but by what we don't say. Sometimes we tell little white lies that we don't think matter. Sometimes we tell half-truths or exaggerate to show ourselves in a better light. We all struggle with telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And all of that, big lies and small lies, are all judged by God. All of them. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral. By the way, we just covered two of those, right, in our, in our stuff? The, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. All liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur 
which is the second death, Revelation 21, verse 8. We all struggle to be truthful. And if you're not struggling, you're not being truthful, since our human default mode is to bend the truth to our own advantage. There are a number of ways that we do that. We tell half-truths, which are full lies. We'll tell the truth up to a point, but we leave out key details that give the full picture. For example, Abraham said of Sarah, she's my sister. That was true to a point. She was his half-sister. But the relevant piece of information which he left out was, she's my wife. Okay, a half-truth. Another example is the lie of omission. We lie by our silence when withholding information works to our benefit. We lie through exaggeration by stretching the truth to make ourselves look better or worse than we really are. I'm a storyteller. I like to tell stories. My staff calls it story time with Eddie. Um, there's probably exaggeration to make it a better story. You know? We tell little white lies that we don't think will harm anyone. Maybe we call in sick to work because we just don't feel like it today. Maybe we lie to cover up for someone else, a friend, a family member. As Christians, we can fall prey to lies of hypocrisy where we try to make others think that we're more spiritual than we really are. We tell evasive lies when we quickly change the subject rather than answering a direct question, which usually leaves a false impression that we didn't intend, or maybe we did, to leave. And as we sometimes see with the government, there are cover-up lies where the liar rationalizes that to tell the truth would hurt people or compromise security. And in those cases, the cover-up is usually worse than the original incident that precipitated it. We could easily spend hours on this topic alone looking at the lies of others, but our point this morning is to look closely at the lies inside each and every one of us. Right? The natural man... The natural man stands squarely in the kingdom of the devil, who is the father of lies. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, John eight forty four. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are not the natural man. You are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And as a result, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can speak the truth. You can speak the truth. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul gives us this command. He says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. So to lie in any form, to lie is inconsistent with the new self, which has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. 
And the sanctification process is one in which we continually choose to put off the old self and the old nature. Lying is consistent with the old nature and with the old master, the father of lies. But when we put on that new self, we put on a new nature. We put on a nature that's consistent with the one we now serve, Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, by His very nature, is truth. Is truth. And in one of His boldest statements, He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. John 14, 6. He not only is the truth, but He speaks truth in every instance. I quoted this verse earlier. Hebrews 6.18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. And the entire goal of the Christian life is that we would grow in holiness and that we would conform more and more to His image. For those whom He foreknew, so this is all the way at the beginning, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the whole point. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8.29 Our God is the God of truth. As His people, we must speak the truth in love and be honest before God in all that we do. And when we speak truth in every situation, it is never necessary to confirm that truth with an oath. Jesus said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Our words should be so reliable that nothing more than a statement is needed. That should be it. God requires truthfulness. If it becomes necessary to bolster, if we feel it's necessary to bolster our word with an oath in order to persuade others to believe us, then our truthfulness, truthfulness has already been compromised. It's already been compromised. And as the people of God, we should exhibit such integrity of character that we don't have to make any kind of vow indicating our truthfulness. People should be able to take every word we speak at face value. Do people see you that way? Do people see you that way? Are you known as a man or woman of godly integrity? When you speak or make promises, do people know that they can take you at your word? You sometimes feel the need to make an oath in order to give more weight to what you say. It's not needed. It's not required. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. Why evil? Why, why would Jesus say because of evil? Because it betrays our failure to live up to God's standard of truthfulness. God's standard is truthfulness in all that we say. A simple yes or no will suffice. Our words should be clear. Our words should be the end of the matter. To add anything at all to that word, such as an oath or qualifications or even a lengthy explanation, the layering on of words, gets the way of our clear pronouncement of our word, of what we say. That comes from evil and should be avoided and rejected at all times.
As we continue to go through this section where Jesus exposits the Old Testament law, and we have two more to go, we've seen a, a familiar pattern, right? In each case, we've looked first at the Old Testament law. What does the law actually say? What problem was it spoken to address in the Old Testament, right? Every one of these statements has some kind of foundation in the, in the Old Testament. Second, we've looked at the distortion the distortion um, that was caused by the teaching and the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. So there's an Old Testament foundation that spoke to a specific issue through God's law, but then the Pharisees and the scribes have distorted that to make it say something other than it actually says in every case. Their legalistic tradition distorted the underlining meaning and intent of the Scriptures. And then finally, of the words of Jesus, again, in every case, the words of Jesus point his hearers back to the deeper, more impactful and original intent of its meaning. And he digs beneath the surface, and he gets to the heart and the true intent of the Scripture. The Christian who speaks truth does not need to validate that truth through an oath. For a man or woman of integrity, an oath is never necessary. Jesus says not to take an oath by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or even your own head. The world and everything in it is under the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Nothing is outside of His rule. Which means, and hear this, which means there is nothing, let me emphasize that again, nothing in all of creation that is under our control. Okay? Let what you say simply be yes or no. Be a man or a woman of your word. Be a man or woman of integrity who is known for the truth. And may your word be your bond. And may you seek in your actions to follow through on all that you have spoken. You know, in leadership questions, people have asked me, you know, at times over the years, how you, bid, how you build trust. Build trust, whether it be in an organization or elsewhere. Basically, you just say what you're going to do, and then you do it. You build trust. You build a pattern, right? May all that you say and do bring glory and honor to Christ. Anything that comes be, anything beyond that comes from evil. The thief... John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's no better way for him to do that than through our speech. What we say with our mouth comes out of the overflow of our heart. When we speak forth lies, we reveal through our words the condition of our hearts. There's no greater way for the devil to destroy May the words of your mouth reveal the heart of one who's truly in Christ and seeking to bring him glory in all things. Speak the truth in love as you grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, Ephesians 4.15. Let's pray. Father, through your words through the words of your son Jesus Christ and this uh, short but uh, so impactful sermon on the mount that he gave to his disciples. 
Father, through His words, we get to the deeper understanding of the Scripture. Not a, a, not a new understanding, but one that was always there and always intended and gets to the heart of what it means to truly be one who follows You. Father, our speech, the, the Bible is filled, filled, filled with references to our speech and where that speech comes from and how that, feech, that, that speech can affect others and can destroy. Father, I pray that uh, our words would be such that it would be flow out of a, a heart that truly loves and adores you and wants to serve you in all things. And when that is true, when you've already changed the heart of a believer, then we can speak words that build one another up, that lift one another's up. We can speak truth in all things. Father, an oath is never necessary. It doesn't mean that there aren't solemn occasions when that is appropriate and as we see throughout Scripture. But in most of our speech, it is not necessary. Simply a yes or no will suffice. Father, I pray in each one of our lives that we would be men and women of such integrity that yes or no is enough for those around us who see a pattern of truth, Lord, that comes directly from one who um, is seeking after you. Father, each and every one of us struggles to varying degrees with the truth. We say things... um, to exaggerate, we say, we withhold things. Father, may we be men and women of truth that honor you. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Please. So the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Go in his peace and speak truth.